Welcome to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics. The only podcast where two brothers discuss something they love, and that something is comic books. Uh, I'm one of your hosts slash brothers slash sort of comedian, Kevin Hines. I'm the other co-host, Will Hines. Yeah. Um, We are uh, doing another one of our world famous, Mm -hmm. critically acclaimed Mutants and Mailbags episodes. Yeah. We're leading the culture on this. And one of these episodes comes out, the zeitgeist changes. Yeah, people are discovering that the Uncanny X-Men is a good comic book. We're discovering it. And we got another little, and we got a little no-name story from the Uncanny X-Men today. This little nugget we dug up called Days of Future Past. We call it Days of Future Past. I forget what it's called in the story. That's sort of a name we've dubbed it. We think that's a catchy name. Yeah. Uh, We give a lot of these characters names. Like we give them nicknames like Wolverine and... Mm -hmm. um, Cyclops and things like yeah. that. Those are sort of nicknames we've given these characters. They're really catching on. Yeah. Profi X. Profi. <laughs> yeah. Profi, profi X. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So this is the episode where we discuss uh, some of the issues of Claremont's epic X-Men run. Right now we're, we're nearing the end. We're reading the end of the John Byrne era. Of yeah. It, Kevin, is, Kevin pointed out to me right before we started recording that the issues we're doing today are John Byrne's final issues. Yeah. Uh, of the uncanny X-Men, not of anything. Yeah. um, The stuff after this. Right. And I think at some point we had kind of mentioned maybe only doing the Claremont burn, or at least I had thought at one point that that was what we were tossing around. We're not doing that now. We're really enjoying the mutant issues. And we read the Cockrum issues before the burn ones and we're going to keep going. But yeah, I wonder how long we'll go. At some point, I feel like we're going to hit a point. We're going to call it. Yeah, that's it. We're not doing all the Claremont issues because there's just too many. Uh, And also, I, I don't the ones that some of the ones near the end. Uh, I'm just not interested in doing it at all. Hot take. Yeah, I don't want to. I love the Kevin Hines hot take. uh, Jim Lee's a great artist, but I'm not interested in covering those. Well, I guess we we also are trying to like fill in a gap in our personal comics knowledge. And we want to read the X-Men comics that kind of like changed everything. And and today's issues are part of that. And and this initial, and I say initial, it's quite a long time, Claremont run um, did change everything. And so we're, we're sort of enjoying kind of seeing what that looked like. I'm curious what we will do next with our mailbag episodes will be Captain America Grunewald or something I often bring up. We could, we could revisit Burns FF if we want to stay on the burn um, focus. Yeah. Uh, that'd be a fun thing to reread. I don't know. Who knows what we'll do when we get tired of X-Men. Who knows when we'll get tired of X-Men. So anyway, we're looking for su- maybe suggest- next episode, maybe this episode, it'll happen. <laughs> maybe um, mid this episode, we will stop. Uh, so we, our email address is screwitcomics at gmail. If you have suggestions over what we should cover in our mailbag episodes, let us know. Uh, yeah. But it's going to be X Men for the for the for the for a little bit longer, future. for a little yeah. bit longer, yeah. And um, Kevin, what do you think of these issues today? We got two issues that are the Days of Future Past, and mm-hmm. then a Kitty Pride sort of solo adventure, and then a Man Thing. You've been clamoring for a Man <laughs> Thing issue. Um, yeah, the Man Thing issue was bad. Um, or not great. It was fine. Uh, I didn't think it was that good. Um, it's interesting. I thought I'd read all these issues before the covers are so sort of in my head that Mm -hmm. I just assumed I'd read them all. I don't think I'd read any of these. Okay. I definitely read the issues where Rachel comes to the present and those visit the era of days of future past. And I think I just, because of that, I thought I had read days of future past or maybe there's Mm -hmm. an annual where they go back to this time. I don't know. There's definitely stories where they revisit this era that I've read 
So I assumed I'd read these issues. And then as I'm reading these, like, I've never read these. Uh, and then same thing. I thought the Kitty Pride solo issue was a brood issue. Those are like alien, basically the aliens from the movie Alien. Yeah. Um, but uh, then I'm reading this issue. I was like, oh, this is not the brood. So I, I, I don't think I've ever read this before. Um, and I read it. I was like, it, it doesn't, the cover is very familiar to me, but the story was not, I didn't know what was coming up. So I was like, maybe I, I don't think I've read any of these. So this continues my stretch of not having read any, like the only issues so far that we've covered that I've read were, were I think the death of Phoenix, like the actual issue where she dies. You've read nothing. Yeah. You're a fake fan. Yeah. I, that, a lot of people say that and they are correct. Um, I had never read these issues before, but I've never read anything. And uh, as as has been true most of the time we've been reading these, I was blown away. Oh, um, really? I found them good, but uh, especially coming off Death of Phoenix, this feels definitely not like this feels like a more almost more famous storyline to me. But I enjoyed it a little bit less. Uh, I was I was one hundred percent blown away by Days of Future Past, especially mm-hmm. when I put myself in the mindset of just getting the issues as they come out mm-hmm. and having the expectations of just another, you know, monster of the month uh, or villain of the month sort of issue. And then to be greeted with a really well thought out, holy form thing. I was like, man, this must've just like knocked everybody's socks off. I think it's such a trope and and even more so probably after this storyline of like future characters coming back, undoing the evil future in our present day is, is like such a, a mm. trope. That uh, like when I read it, I'm sort of like, oh, yeah, I've, I've read this story a thousand times over in different versions. So like Spider-Man 2099 is one in Superior Spider-Man. He comes back and does some stuff. Sure. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, not the original Spider-Man 2099, but in that storyline, he comes back to stop the death uh, of his in the, ancestor. In a little indie movie called The Terminator. Terminator does it. There's definitely, I've read it in lots of comics. Hulk has done it. Captain Marvel recently did uh, sort of a, a I think, a version of this where Captain Marvel goes to the future, sees the future and comes back and has to, and tries to like prepare for what's coming. Um, so these variations of this happen a lot. So maybe that's part of it to me. It's just like, it feels like well-trod territory though. It wasn't, wouldn't have been that well-trod in the um, early eighties or late seventies when this comic came out. Where are we at? Arrow wise. Uh, 80 or 81 or something like that. It's crazy. Anyway, uh, so I liked it. I'm not as much as you, maybe. Maybe I'll be more critical. I'll be the, um, I'll be the the grump. Yeah, you're gonna be the you're gonna be the Siskel, and I'll be the Ebert, or vice versa. You want to just jump into them? Yeah, let's do it. I mean, the cover is iconic for a reason. It's a tremendously great cover. Yeah. So this this is like shows a Wolverine and a and a grown up an older Wolverine and Kitty Pride. And they are standing in front of a wall that um, they're on the run because they're like Wolverine's protecting Kitty Pride. There's a spotlight on them and they're behind them is like a, but like a bunch of posters of which mutants have been murdered. And most of them have been murdered. Yeah. It's a slain or apprehended uh, on everybody's name, except for Wolverine. Uh, Cause John Brennan loves him. So he's not been caught or killed. Um. So, you know, Wolverine is is the star of the book in John Byrne's eyes. Yeah, so it's a famous cover. It looks a little bit like the Band on the Run cover from Paul McCartney and Wings, um, mm-hmm. which had come out six years before and is also an iconic cover. 
um, in in Rockdom. Um, I don't think John Byrne would be thinking of it, but honestly, it's not totally beyond it's not totally beyond the realism to think sure. that, he had, that he at least was thinking, oh, yeah, that's another famous image of people who are on the run with a spotlight on them. Yeah. I mean, a spotlight against the wall feels like. Yeah, it's 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 does that's not created by the band on the run album. Yeah. And it definitely fits this storyline. The poster is really what sells this for me behind them. Slain, apprehended, slain, slain. Just slain. showing all the X-Men that they're dead. It's like, it's very interesting. It's like, oh, what's going on in this story? Especially as part one. Yeah, and we open on the future with a grown-up Kitty Pride walking through a uh, war-torn Manhattan. Yeah, with rubble. a little Eisner-esque logo. Like the, the logo is built into the building she's running by. It is Eisner-esque, Kevin. Good comics cred. Hey, man, I know what I'm talking about. I, read one, I read one Chris Claremont X-Men comic. And uh, this is so. I, I also, I also do think like, whenever this came out, of course we should know this, but we don't ever prep anything. Nineteen eighty-one, let's say. Yeah, um, let's pretend. <laughs> like this is before Terminator came out. Uh, I think there had been a Mad Max movie, but um, maybe just one. And uh, it's before all those comic book instances we just said. <laughs> it does feel. It does feel new to me. There's something fresh yeah. about this. I mean, it's definitely a very cool idea and it's a very fun idea. There's a reason comics visit this idea again and again and again, because it's fun and cool. It's very Watchmen-ish in that we're in the middle of a world and it's already happening. And we have to figure out what's going on by context clues. Kitty Pride has grown up. She's got a collar around her neck that inhibits her mutant's power. She immediately runs into a gang called the Rogues who are anti-mutant, but they're also anti-sentinel. And so we learn here before we see them that the sentinels are kind of like running things mm-hmm. and have made a mess of everything. The The future is the year 2013. Yeah. And Kevin, what year is it now? I assume before that. Right now. Yeah, it doesn't it's... look like this. I mean, we, <laughs> we don't have sentinels flying everywhere, so it must be at least a few years before that. I'm guessing 2010. It's kind of fun. We're in now. It's kind of fun when actual time catches up with something presented yeah. as the far future. Right, like Blade Runner. And yeah, or even like, like the book 1984, like the George Orwell book. You yeah. Know, like, um, yeah. Who, who could imagine a world like this? Yeah, some comics just avoid that by being like 20 years in the future or something like that. Uh, in the very near future or things like that. Books and comics will say things like that. Uh, but there is something fun. Like when you put it a hard date on it, it also puts a hard date on the past. Yeah. Uh, and it's just like, well, none of that could be true because these characters have barely aged and it's been, you know, 40 years. I mean, unless this comic is like the most cynical representation of President Obama's run, you know, it's like, this is, <laughs> this is what New York might as well have looked like when Obama started his second term. I mean, yeah, there, kind, are no, kind of, there are no superheroes now, so maybe they've all been killed. In our time. Yeah. Like, we just didn't notice it. We didn't. We weren't paying attention when Spider-Man was roaming New York City, <laughs> and then he, now he's been murdered, so it's not really a big issue now. We don't talk about it. We just think he's a fictional character because we were so fooled by the 24-hour news networks. Um, CNN's covering up Spider-Man. I'll, we've said it before. Uh so uh, yes, so Kitty Pride is running somewhere. She like falls and gets captured by the Rogues, which are like just a gang of you know Mohawk toughs. Got to have Mohawks in the apocalypse. If this is the 1980s post-apocalypse, you got to have Mohawks. You know that punk rock look. Uh, Wolverine saves her. Doesn't use his claws so that people 
don't know he was there. He says the sentinels will detect me if I use my claws somehow. Yeah. Um, we see like buses being drawn by horses in this. Future. I love, I love that detail. Um, uh, there's so buses like and they're working bus lines. Like people are riding the bus. Yeah. As, but they're being pulled by horses. That's kind of a fun look post-apocalyptic little thing. It is fun. Uh, there's a huge, huge graveyard. It's really nice that they still buried and gave everyone uh, um, gravestones. <laughs> they didn't just like burn them or put them in a mass grave. They, they disrespected them enough to murder them, but they got there and right next to each other. Like they're packed yeah. in here. But we also see like the FF are all dead. Um, so it's not just the X-Men. Um, ben Grimm, Reed Richards, Johnny Storm, Sue Richards are all listed as well. Um, uh, it is so. affecting. I mean, like as a comic book fan, like it is, I mean, I guess it is a trope to say like the big heroes are dead or whatever, but I found this to be an affecting panel. Like the, I was like the FF are gone. Yeah. Like, there's also, um, and like we see like the few survivors, it's Storm, Kitty Pride, Colossus and Magneto. Yeah. Magneto has survived. Yeah. He's in a wheelchair like his adversary, Charles Xavier, before that's, him. That's a cool yes, moment. Yes, a very fun detail. Like he is now leading what's left of the X-Men, but he's also in a wheelchair. I love that visual. I thought that was extremely fun. Also, uh, just even the way Byrne draws him is like he, the Magneto we've seen in this run so far has been very evil. And yes, he doesn't he, seem evil here. He seems like a wizened leader. It's sort of as foreshadowing his eventual... Um, uh, uh, time as leader of the X-Men. That it does happen in Claremont's run. It's very fun. Uh, also, Colossus and Kitty are married in this future, and they yeah. have, she has basically expressed a crush on Colossus yeah. in the very few issues. I mean, Kitty Pride's only been around for like five yeah. issues or something like that, and she has expressed a crush on Colossus. I mean, I that worked on me too. I was like, oh, I, I've already seen that Claremont and burn are very haphazard with their plots. Things are, you know, they're not like neat as a pin when it comes to continuity. You know, things get dropped. Mm -hmm. Villains start having powers. They didn't seem to have the issue before. I, I do not believe they're planning things out too well, but this does give the feeling of like, oh, well, they're, they're yes. Anding their, yeah. their little seeds they planted. Uh, yeah. In a fun it's fun. Way. It's fun to see them married, but I'm still creeped out at a 13 year old girl calling a 21 year old, boy or 20 year old boy at best sexy in the next in a, a couple of issues from here it's because you were too young in the 1980s you know what i mean the 1980s was a wild time baby all right, all right, i was 10 right. you know i knew like i was yeah you were calling uh, a 20 year old sexy all the time you know i was a real cool 10 year old i had a mohawk <laughs> you know i was watching down. yeah you were in the rogues i was a pro reagan uh mohawk sporting sexy calling 10 year old uh also one of the mutants hanging out with him is franklin richards Grown up Franklin Richards, which also becomes a trope. But at this point, I don't think this has happened yet. And of course, when John Byrne takes over FF, which is going to happen soon. Yeah. He'll, he'll play around with grown up Franklin sometimes. Yeah, they're definitely grown up Franklin. Uh, there's like a stretch where he like leads his own FF spinoff book. Like he gets aged and unaged and de-aged and re-aged constantly. Um, and he's got a girlfriend. Franklin Richards has a girlfriend, Rachel. This is a new character. Rachel Summers, though I don't think she's called Rachel Summers in this story. I know she's not, but she is Rachel Summers. She's the daughter of uh, Scott and I forget if it's Ma Madeline or Jean Grey. They both have red hair, and Rachel has red hair, so it kind of yeah, works out. I forget which one. I think it think it's Madeline. I, I don't remember. I think um, I think it's Madeline. 
Anyway, but what, what, Scott what becomes- Summers has lots of kids from the future because he also has a uh, cable who comes back. <laughs> uh, he's, you know, he's, he's got a lot of kids running around that so, he did not, he did, he's never had a kid, but he has kids. Yeah. Just uh, that's what a weird trope. Yeah. Cyclops future kids. It's like, it's what's the other trope in the X-Men is putting people in the minds of babies and five-year-olds. I feel <laughs> yeah. like the, the, this era of X writers love to put people in the bodies of babies and five-year-olds. But it is very funny being like, I, I'm not ready to have a kid yet, but I am ready to have a 20 year old living with me who is my <laughs> child. It's like, oh, so I want to okay. do it. Uh, I don't know. It feels harder. So uh, what, what becomes clear here in the story is this little, the very few surviving X-Men under the leadership of Magneto uh-huh. um, that the Sentinels have run roughshod over everything. And they have a crazy plan and it's to use Rachel's mutant powers to send Kitty Pride's mind into the past. Mm-hmm. It's very fun how they like establish that. It's both, you know, it's very little exposition. Yeah, um, they've at this point, in the story. they've pinpointed the turning point where everything went wrong, as when the uh, some mutants killed a senator, an anti-mutant senator gets killed by the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. So they send Kitty Pride's brain back to her body to undo that. Not unlike the hit B movie, Transfers. <laughs> yeah, I didn't, I didn't see uh, that. Uh, starring Helen Hunt as the love interest, uh. Uh, and Tim Fomerson as as the uh, main character, Jack Death. Oh, I, I didn't. I've never heard of this movie. I've never oh. heard of this movie. There's, there's only five or six of them, uh, but the first couple are they send their brains back to their well, they send their brains back to their. Uh, ancestors not necessarily their body so like jack death will go to like his dad's or his granddad's body oh okay and then i guess he just takes him over and becomes him for the rest of the series and kills him in a sense but anyway that would suck to just have yourself replaced by your descendant i would be a little bummed it's a dick move (laughs) um so this this is like a swap like kitty's Mm. older kitty is so taking over pride who is the grown-up kitty Mm -hmm goes into the body of Kitty and Kitty's mind goes into the future body of Kate, although she's unconscious that whole time. Oh, is that really what happened? I didn't, I didn't know what happened to Kitty Pride. Maybe I, I read th- it too I fast. Th- I think that's implied. Yeah. Okay. I'd buy it. Uh, and Kate shows up mid danger room sequence. Very fun. And yeah. I did have the effect of like, you know, you're in the gruesome, you're in the dreary defeated future time mm-hmm. where things look very bleak and sad and now here we are in the danger room and it's joyful. Like they're just doing exercises. Everybody's alive. I, I, I felt it. I felt like the, the happiness come in. It's a great kind of mid issue splash page. I mean, this comic is awesome. Every it, time travel story, movie, book, comic does the same thing. It always, it bothers me in a way that it probably shouldn't. Cause I think it's just having fun with it. But when people first travel through time, their first reaction is always, Oh, glasses. You're so young. Yeah. It's like, what, what are you talking about? It's like, you knew you were traveling through time. But at least don't say that out loud. Like, in the, I, I think in, you're in, right. You're totally right. In the Days right. of Future Past movie, when Wolverine gets sent back in time um, in the movie, he like shows up and he's like, what's going on? Who are you? He's like saying everyone, he's like, get out of, why are you in my room? It's like, you knew you were going back in time. Like, there should yeah. be a little bit of you in your head going, okay, I've traveled in time. Let me figure out what's going on before yeah. I start talking. Um, okay, I want to talk uh, about this it, a little it, bit, but it is a is a I think huge you, I th- trope. I'm going to push back because I, I think you're right. It it is kind of a trope. The, the that moment in Wolverine went too far because like he was totally disoriented in a way that didn't make sense. But um, 
people do freak out when they, I've never seen anybody look at an image of themselves from like 10 or 15 years before yeah. and not be like, Oh my God, look at me. I'm so young. Like they can't, help I'm not them. saying you can think it. And this is the era of thought balloons. If she showed up and goes, ah, look how young Colossus and Storm are. I can't even remember when they were like this, so full of hope and life. But instead she says it to them and they're like, what are you talking about, Kitty? Here's a, here's a good version of this. Yeah. Do you know the movie Peggy Sue Got Married? Sure. With um, Kathleen Turner and Nicolas Cage? Yeah. So she goes two, back in time. Two no-name actors. Two no-names. Uh, she goes back in time mm -hmm. to her high school. I forget even how it happens, but like uh, she figures out pretty fast what's happening. And she sees her mom young and she, like you want, Kevin, she's thinking it's striking, but she, she keeps her bearings. Yeah. But what throws her off guard is the phone rings and she answers it and it's her grandmother. And she forgot that her grandmother would still be alive. Yeah. So to hear her grandmother's voice totally floors her. She's like, oh, right. And she's like, she's so taken by it. I remember watching the movie being like, oh, that's a really cool way to yeah. kind of make her feel a little in over her head over the consequences of going back in time. Those moments are great. Uh, I don't mind the moments like when someone, uh, uh, you know, whatever, like they've traveled through time or something, they see somebody who's dead and they just give them a big hug and like, I missed you so much. Person's like, yeah, what? Yeah. what do you mean? Those moments feel emotional and raw, but sometimes people just make comments like, wait, why aren't your cars flying? Like, right, right, right. You, know, yeah, you, yeah, traveled, yeah. you traveled in time. We just talked about this. Everyone what explained you, to you what's happening. What'd you think of the movie Days of Future Past? I think it's bad. I think there's you some think fun bad. sequences, but I think it is a bad movie. Some people people really like that movie. I think it is I've, bad. I enjoyed I the plot it. What's is boring wrong with me? I had a good time. Most people like it, so I'm I think I went in with no expectations. I was like X three was so bad. Um, sure. That I was uh, like, this is going to suck. And I, I went like, in with good. very high expectations. I was hoping that this is going to right the ship. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, I don't remember if Singer's allegations had come out by that point or not. Um, but instead, I was like, now this movie is bad it's better than x-men 3 but that's not a standard that i'm holding that I, I wanted this movie to be good i wanted this to be close mm. to x2 mm -hmm. and i found a bad first of all the plot didn't make sense to me mm -hmm. because the plot is like Wolverine gets sent back in time to stop something he doesn't stop anything so he doesn't do anything that, he doesn't yeah. help do it it's like the whole movie is professor x doesn't have his powers for some reason uh, they've been turned off and everyone's like, hey, you need to turn your powers back on and save the day. And he's like, no, no, no. And then the movie goes, okay. But like <laughs> nothing, I don't see what changes his mind in that movie. He just all of a sudden goes, yeah, okay, I'll now be good. And he instantly saves everyone. They also like free Magneto to help them, but he doesn't help them. He's a villain and he makes things worse. It's like, oh yeah, that's what you would expect him to do. Yeah. What did you think he was going to do? What did you want him to do? I guess I didn't pay attention. There was no effort making any of that happen. I think I anyway. just liked it. I liked the idea of mixing the old cast and the new cast and getting Wolverine in both versions. I think that's really fun. So like that, the idea is very fun, but so you uh, think the comics better than the movie, at least way better, um, way better. I think the movie is bad and people hold that up as a good movie. And so maybe I'm wrong. I'll have to watch it um, again, but I, I what think, do you think of Bohemian is, Rhapsody. I saw speaking of Brian Singer movies. <laughs> I have not seen Bohemian. Oh, did he I make just, that movie too? Yeah. I saw it. Uh, I saw it two weeks ago on a uh, airplane. I have not seen it. It's fun and dumb, Kevin. It's fun and dumb. Uh, I don't know why it won any kind of Oscars. That's strange, but it, mm -hmm. but it is a really enjoyable film, I say. Uh, okay. Some people really hate it, but I think they're wrong. All right, so let's get back here. So Kitty's in the past, or she's in the present. She's in our so, I saw Black Widow. That's a movie. Oh, yeah, I saw Black Widow. What'd you think? Pretty good. Yeah. 
I thought good. it was fun. I thought it, I really enjoyed it. I need a name for that type of Marvel humor. You know, the action movie joking around that the characters do, you know. I can't remember any examples from Black Widow, but I feel like it's like, what is this high five? You know, or whatever. Yeah. It's the kind of like action there's, movie joke. Why do you so high five? Why would so high about your five? There is a sequence where they're breaking um, Harbor out of prison. Yeah. And Black Widow has jumped down and is fighting everybody. And Harbor is trying to get out. Everything is chaos. And Florence Pugh is in the helicopter and she almost knocks Black Widow off like the catwalk. Black Widow's like, what are you doing? Go higher. And Florence Pugh just responds, we're all doing really good. And I was like, that's a very funny line to me. We're all doing a good job is what she says. It's like, none of them are doing a good job. Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, that's made me laugh a lot. I I rewound. I was like, did she say that? And I was like, and that made me like the whole movie. (laughs) Sometimes you're the toughest critic and sometimes you're the easiest audience. I was enjoying the movie, but from that moment on, I was like, oh, this movie is fun. It was fun. Okay, so Kitty Pride is in our present. She's in the danger room. She's saying all kinds of tropey time travel thing that's driving Kevin Hines nuts. Yes, yeah. But we have a little action sequence where she has to get her bearings and there's like a little danger room stuff going around. Danger room's nice. If you need action, it's there. It's built in. And, um, oh, yeah, Kitty's Kitty is not yet. I'm sorry. Yeah, this is just Kitty Pride. <laughs> right, I forgot. This is just Kitty Pride in our present. Just normal Kitty stumbles into the danger room and has, and she's a little overwhelmed. But then she, using her phase powers, is able to just walk through all the obstacles in an individual challenge and best them, and the X-Men think that's a riot, that she so easily bested the danger room. Yeah, uh, and Kate wakes up and hugs Kurt, says, I can't believe you're alive. Oh, look, it's Angel, Aurora, Peter. This I is didn't think this happened. Rachel did it, everyone, <laughs> she says to people who never met Rachel. Um, and then we move in, to, then we do get some exposition. Kitten, uh, it's been years since you called me that. Yes, yes, Kitty, we know. You're in the past. Come on, Yeah, you hate this. it. You're really annoyed. <laughs> um, I love it, but you know, I'm having a good time. You're having a bad time. Yeah. And what happens here? So then we do get the exposition. Yes. Kate Pride in the in the body of Kitty Pride explains to them exactly what's up. And even, even we readers have not really been clued in. And yeah. now we are clued in. What you said before, there's an anti-mutant senator named Robert Kelly. His assassination at the hands of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants will begin an anti-mutant wave mm-hmm. that creates the apocalyptic world we saw at the beginning of this comic. Right. So they have to prevent weirdly they have to prevent the assassination of someone who hates mutants i do like that very quickly the x-men are on board they're like okay we mostly believe you we're going to take you to professor x who's at this hearing anyway they're like 90 percent on board not 100 percent because they could be getting tricked but um they don't go like no way we're not falling for this they're like yeah, yeah maybe I, I think these things happen to us yeah it's it's uh it's kind of like it's like in the superior spider-man where like Dr. Octopus in the body of Spidey is acting weird. And so the Avengers capture him and they have a bunch of tests. Like, is he a scroll? Is yeah. he being possessed by, you know, so-and-so is it? So and like they, they're ready yeah. for people to be in somebody else's body in a strange way. Yeah. Um, so they're headed now to save the Senator and we jump back to the future where the few surviving X-Men are trying basically to protect the body of Kate pride mm-hmm. long enough for her to, change time and uh it's bad we see franklin richards get murdered the sentinels the sentinels attack we see franklin get murdered yeah um we see some battle where colossus and wolverine take down a sentinel um it's kind of a fun action sequence yeah colossus like knocks down a building onto three sentinels that's a fun moment 
Um, and then we come back to present day where the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, the new Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, show up. And these are brand new characters, largely. Blob had pre-existed and Mystique has pre-existed. But I looked it up just to make sure. But Pyro, Destiny, and Avalanche are all brand new. Um, there's a lot of stuff packed in these issues. I think that's another reason why these issues are so kind of fun is mm-hmm. I think they do a good job of being very densely packed with stuff. But it, it, it's pretty smooth. It, it, it works pretty smooth. I mean, burn. I mean, some these panels have. I mean, these pages have like seven or eight panels. Sometimes they don't feel tiny or cramped. Uh, burn does a really good job of just making those small panels feel full. There's a fair amount of personality just in their body language. Like Blob mm-hmm. looks arrogant and cocky. Pyro looks kind of, you know, he's this super thin kind of. He's got kind of a rat look, you know, like he looks like yeah. a betrayer. I feel like he either loses his look or gets replaced by a different pyro because he doesn't look like this. Uh, I don't know when I've seen him in other comics, but I like this look. He's very sinister looking. Um, Avalanche looks kind of sturdy and sort of salt of the earth, sort of, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know. He, he gets a lot done in a little space. So the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, they're all fighting with each other. They're scrapping. Uh, Blob is challenging Mystique's authority. She kind of shuts it down and assumes control, but we we get introduced to their personalities yeah. and powers for a couple pages. And then they go to the Senate hearing, knock down a wall and show up, but they are attacked immediately by the uh, X-Men. Yeah. Yeah, who have been warned by Kitty Pride. Uh, yep. And that's the end of the issue. Yeah. Pretty great. I, I, um, I, 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 it lived up to the hype for me. I enjoyed it a lot. I uh, I'm only a little bit down on it in the sense that it's like, oh yeah, this is pretty good. I think only because like everything leading up to Dark Phoenix as well as the Dark Phoenix story itself was so good mm-hmm. that uh, I was expecting this to be just as good, if not better. And to me, it's like, oh, this is just like a step back into just pretty good, pretty very good stuff. Um, uh, let's go on to part two of this only yeah. okay story. Um, oh boy. Uh, that Kevin Hines doesn't think is good. Uh, no, I know you're not saying that. Uh, issue 142. Uh, mm-hmm. I, this is not an iconic cover, but it's a pretty moving one. A Sentinel is incinerating Wolverine. Yeah, everybody dies. It says on the cover, which is a very fun title. Yeah, it's sort of true. So we get set up for a sort of past and future parallel timeline thing. In the past, the X-Men are trying to stop the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants from hurting Kelly. And they get into a little battle. We get a little battle sequence between the X-Men and the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. Yep. Um, it's a fun fight. Uh, they, yeah, It's sort of what a lot of fights are, but it, it's you know packed into like a pretty quick sequence where the X-Men are sort of losing at first. They're like not sure how to deal with all these powers, but then they kind of all get the upper hand. Um, and it's real fun to watch that happen. Uh, Mystique in the, in the fray, Mystique lures away Professor X and Moira McTaggart and sort of subdues them. Yeah, she's good at what she does. Yeah, she's a fun little shape changer. Uh, is it here in this battle that Nightcrawler and Mystique realize they look a lot alike? No, that's a little bit later. That's near the very end, yeah. Um, that's after Nightcrawler fights Nightcrawler. First, we cut away to the future for a little, or no, like a recap. Kitty Pride, Kate Pride remembers everything that happened last issue. I mean, it's and a dense it's- story. You need to do that. There's no collections. There's no digital trades. Might be your first comic. And then we cut to the future and we see that the surviving X-Men, now without Franklin Richards, who's been killed, are Mm -hmm. still carrying the unconscious Kitty Pride body. They're Um, trying to get into the Baxter building. 
That's the headquarters of the Sentinels, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, John Byrne, man, loves the FF. He's about to take over the FF. Because there's a lot of FF in these X-Men issues. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess also the FF were were still big dogs at the time. I mean, they're big dogs now, but they were pre-X-Men. They're like, yeah, they're one of the pillars of the Marvel Universe. The X-Men have sort of taken charge of the Marvel Universe, but they're not certainly not their own empire. They haven't spun off into 12 books yet. So it's still the it's still Spider Man in the FF's Marvel universe, and the X Men are just sort of there, being like, "We're actually better than uh, those big titles." Um, so we have a little infiltration of the Baxter Building, where mostly Storm and Wolverine are using their powers to get in. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we cut back to the present, where the X Men are fighting the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, and the X Men prevail. Yes. Uh, I'm just going to sum it up quickly. It's a it's a kind of a long battle with lots of going back and forth. It's fun. We get some direct reference to Wolverine's um, healing ability, healing factor. The, like it, it's been sort of hinted at and implied, but it's flat out called like a fast healing ability. It's still way less than it becomes in the future. Yeah, but now it is for sure. It's like he gets burned alive, and there's no there's no burn marks on him. It's like oh yeah, it healed. Yeah. My fast healing ability is already dealing with my burns, says Wolverine. Yeah. Then uh, this Mystique, is where, yeah, this is when Nightcrawler gets attacked by another Nightcrawler. Yeah, Mystique as Nightcrawler attacks Nightcrawler and they fight and it's like, which one's the real one kind of situation? Yeah, I kind of like that the resolution is like, let's just let them fight it out. <laughs> which sort of would be my mindset too. It's like Nightcrawler is probably going to win the fight of who's better at fighting as Nightcrawler. He's got a lot more practice and he yeah. actually has teleportation ability, which Mystique does not. Yeah, so I think Nightcrawler is going to win that fight. I'd probably just let them tussle it out. It's and kind then, of like, gutsy deal of with the winner to do it, you know? Yeah. Like, I'm um, not going to kill one of the Nightcrawlers. <laughs> oh, also, this is maybe my favorite moment of the two issues, actually. Okay, what is it? Nightcrawler, uh, Wolverine has his claws out, uh, and he wants to go in there and, like, take down Mystique or whatever, and Storm says, put your claws away. This moment. Yeah, right. Sheathe them or use them on me, Storm says. Uh, that can be arranged, babe. Storm thinks, goddess, he means it. She goes, I am leader of the X-Men. While that is, oh, while that is so, you will use your claws when I command it, no other time. Wolverine goes, I wouldn't take that from Cyclops. Storm says, you will take it from me. You possess speed, strength. Your unbreakable adamantium skeleton makes you nearly invulnerable. You should not need your claws, except in the most extreme of situations against the deadliest and most powerful of foes. All right, Storm, I'll do it your way for now. But this conversation ain't finished, not by a long shot. Yeah, I love it is that. very fun. It is very fun. She's like, she's why very... do you even need claws? Don't use them. We're not trying to kill people here. Yeah. She's right. She's 100% right. And she's also just got that very cool and collected. She's calm in the face of, she doesn't get rattled. She doesn't take the bait yeah. on his anger. And he it, respects it. It is very, it's a very good character moment. It's so cool. It's such a cool, it's maybe my favorite moment in these two issues. I don't care about all the future traveling. Like that moment, I'm like, oh, that's good. Now that's some comic book. And Nightcrawler eventually gets Mystique to return to her form. And that's when he makes the observation that they look alike. They do look alike. Yeah. I think Mystique is Nightcrawler's mother. Good. I don't think that gets revealed to like the nineties or something. It's definitely true now in current comics. I did not know that. In a very recent issue of X-Men Nightcrawler goes, Oh, I'm going to vote with Mystique since she's my mom. And I'm like, Oh yeah, that's, they're both blue, so I guess they're related is the thinking, but it feels very arbitrary. Yeah. Uh, again, it feels like one of those haphazard things that's a hallmark of this run, I think. Uh, we cut back to the future where Storm, Wolverine, Cyclops are infiltrating the Baxter building. 
they 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 get in and then Wolverine is murdered. Good. Wolverine is fried to bits. Finally. Um Storm is angry. Uh she starts fighting them and then she is stabbed and dies, which and then Colossus is the last man standing and he attacks the Sentinel, but then he is killed. And we know that because Rachel, who is protecting Kitty Pride's body in a little alcove, senses their death. Mm-hmm. So they're running out of time. Yes. That's sad. <laughs> uh, it was cool seeing the Sentinel get thrown out of the building. But yeah, uh, Rachel, who's a character we don't really know, we get a lot of emotion from her watching, hearing her friends die, basically. Yeah, I, I was very moved by it. I thought, you know, it lived up to the impact of the cover. Um, it's sad. But, this, to see. but back in the present, Kate is able to make Destiny miss Senator Kelly with her, like, crossbow. <laughs> yes. Uh, I don't know why she's using a crossbow and not a gun, but good for her. Um, maybe she could sneak it in easier or something. I don't know, but yeah, I mean, Kate they, came Pride, in, they came in through the wall. Uh, Kate Pride, um, is the one who saves the day in the body of Kitty Pride. She hip checks mm-hmm. destiny at the exact right moment, saves Senator Kelly's life and is then jerked back into the future. And our Kitty Pride returns into the body. Right. There's an interesting thing about this. Let's finish up this issue and I'll say an interesting thing about that moment. Okay. Uh, so um, yeah, the, so, so the rest of this issue, it's kind of, it's there, they save the day and, uh, the minds are returned to their body. We don't know what happens in the future. Yeah. We, we don't see any, we don't revisit it. So Kate pride wakes up in a, in a future mm-hmm. where everybody's dead, or maybe that future is gone. So she wakes up in an altered future. We don't know, mm-hmm. uh, where everybody's alive or something like that. Um, but the present X-Men are like, did we save the day? And they're like, we don't, we don't know. We, yeah. we don't know. We, we, we did what we were told. We saved his life. We don't know if that'll be enough. Yeah. It's kind of kind of an interesting end, I think. And then yeah. the last page is sort of um, foreshadowing a different story. Yeah, uh, they're making more Sentinels. Uh, so maybe that future is still coming to pass. Sentinels are still being built. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Uh, your friend who emailed us, uh, Dan Gelati. Yeah pointed me to a John Byrne forum where he complains about this storyline because John Byrne wrote the storyline completely. This is John Byrne uh, uh, and Claremont scripted it. This is a John Byrne idea, both issues. And in the ending, John Byrne thought of this as uh, um, a complete victory for the X-Men that that future no longer exists. So that Kate left Kitty Pride's brain because the future that Kate Pride no longer existed anymore. Okay. Um, and he's really mad about the line where Kate Pride gives Kitty a kiss to wake her up mentally. Yeah. Because that means she's still alive and that future still exists. And it's a divergent timeline. He's really mad about the idea that there's now a divergent timeline and that that evil future still exists in one timeline. Yeah. And, and I don't know. I think he's being a baby about it. I think this issue makes it very vague whether or not that timeline exists. Later on, I, I, they do revisit it. Rachel comes back. But it's, I don't know. It's such a weird thing to get mad about. You just these guys just seem like uber alphas who just cannot. Yeah. they cannot uh, handle any dissension. But Kevin, John Byrne takes this story and he reads the story as a mild victory for the X Men when it should have been a a definite victory for the X Men, and Claremont ruined it. That's all. Yeah, I mean, I guess I don't see that, but that is given given what Byrne would do on FF. Right next in his career, I 
I guess I could understand that he just wanted his own book where he wouldn't have to deal with that stuff. Yeah, he wants to make all the decisions. And he certainly did a great job with FF, so I, I can't mm-hmm. argue with his ability to write a story, and Claremont would do well without him. So maybe it was too too many too many cooks. Yeah. Um it's sad though, because they they sure did it, they sure did a great run. Um Kevin, I'm gonna call maybe maybe that's all we should cover for today. Yeah. Uh, we took a long time with those two issues, didn't we? I mean, they're they're pretty massive. I, I wouldn't have wanted to rush it. So maybe we'll 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 pick up and we'll finish the burn run in our next mutants and mailbag. We have one more burn issue. Yeah. Savor it for next time. Yeah. Uh, we'll do that, and then the, uh, the whatever the next we'll do four issues next time. Yeah. Okay. Um. So uh, since I, I really enjoy these issues, I actually let's talk a little bit about the end of Claremont and Burn because it's, there's one more issue and then Burns out. Mm-hmm. But this is the last like big, big Claremont yeah. Burns story. What a what a run! I mean, like yeah. However acrimoniously it ended, um, whatever you might regret or say about the Phoenix saga, what a crazily impactful and fun run of comics. So here's Burn and Claremont didn't get along well. They fought tooth and nail constantly over this. Yeah, Kirby and Lee didn't get along, right? Kirby, uh, Lee and Ditko didn't get along. And all those runs are good. Like, is it just like you need two people who are so good that they there's no way they can get along forever? And just like you need well, to tap into both their strengths. Like, maybe, if, if if these guys were, are are there runs where it's like that are as good as this, where the two people get get along great the whole time? Or like, no problem, no complaints. Yeah. Um, or is that generally just like one person is being like, you call the shots and I will just follow along. Yeah. When it's two people not getting along, maybe the good side of that is they don't, they're, they are not sacred cows to each other. So they challenge each other. Yeah. Like Claremont changed the ending of Burn's story. That is in a way disrespectful. It's also just like, no, we want, it's, I don't want to kill Kate pride. She, I don't, I don't, you know, I want her to still be alive somehow. Maybe, maybe that's the right move or something. Yeah. I want to ha- I want to have these characters to play with again in the future. Um, so maybe it's like the refusal to just blindly accept each other's decisions ends up being good. Well, I pointed this afterward that John Byrne had written for the, what this, what's the issue that became the death of Phoenix, but was supposed to be just the death of Phoenix, the character, not the death of Jean gray. Um, and in that, he talks about how much he loves the character Marvel Girl, and he wished he never had become Phoenix. Yeah. It's like, well, he's wrong there. Phoenix is a great character, one of the best. Yeah, and way more excited than Marvel Girl, I bet. And and maybe if John Byrne hadn't been there, Phoenix wouldn't have hit this point where she needed to be killed. And that was also sort of a, made that storyline work. It's like both of these guys trying to do what's right ended up making a storyline that's better than what either one of them would have done alone. Yeah. Like if it was just Claremont Phoenix, maybe doesn't become a villain and just sort of becomes this more powerful Marvel girl. And that sort of gets boring. And if it was just John Burnett, she would have stayed Marvel girl. And I don't know what that is. That doesn't sound that interesting. So turning her into this sort of evil hero amongst the team is sort of the best of both worlds. Like where they meet in between is a better version because they're sort of tugging on each other constantly. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Um, there's no way to there's no way to know. You can't remove one from history and see what would have happened. Just like people are like, uh, Ditko did everything. Well, you can't remove Lee from Spider-Man, so there's no way to know. Right. Uh, and there's no way to not have Ditko do Spider-Man and if have like whatever Gene Colan come in and do it and see how that book would have or have John Romita uh, uh 
originally. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's it really interesting collaboration. You know, I'm a big Beatles fan and, and trying to untangle the Lennon McCartney partnership is really interesting. Um, I, I, do you ever see the movie Topsy Turvy? It's about Gilbert and Sullivan. I have not seen that movie. It's a really, really good movie. And it, and it, um, it shows them as having kind of an argumentative sort yeah. of begrudging partnership where Gilbert basically drags Sullivan back into working to do one last great work, which is the Mikado, which was a huge hit for them, but it shows them as having a lot of trouble getting along. Um, it's interesting. It's interesting when people can sort of maybe not even like each other, but work together. Well, I mean, maybe it's a Beatles thing too, right? Well, like John and uh, uh, what's his name? Paul. Uh, his didn't name get is along. Paul McCartney. Yes. Uh, I can't remember. It's, it's something <laughs> weird like Paul. Um, <laughs> but like, you know, uh, they probably got along at the beginning, but maybe they never totally got along. And it was always like a tug and where you'd know this better than me. And like yeah. that helped them push them both to be better. Um, yeah. I mean, I think they did like each other very, very much up until the very end, but, um, but they definitely were, they definitely did not see each other as geniuses. They had a, they had a healthy skepticism of the other's mm-hmm. ideas, even when they, when they, when they loved each other, I think. Yeah. So I think to some extent, like the fact that they didn't get along made X-Men better. I mean, Burns did, did so good on FF alone without anyone sort of like changing his stuff. It, you know, maybe that's crazy to say, like if, eh, if Burn did it alone, it would have worked. But to some extent, like what he did in FF was like, bring it back to uh, Kirby, a, a great comic where if you went back to the original X-Men in this book, well, those comics weren't as good. Right. You wouldn't want to go back to the original X-Men. So like maybe what Burns love of the original X-Men would have hurt the book. Yeah. Um, and Claremont sort of like, maybe I don't, I don't know if Claremont didn't love them, but sort of his sort of, he didn't care about them as much. Yeah. Helped it. Like, but maybe if he, you know, if he didn't have people that cared somewhat, he would have made, I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying. Other when, than so, like, when something is as good as these comics are, it's just, yeah. it's almost magic. Like you can't, yeah. there's no formula to create this. Um, it is some weird alchemy of. Yeah. If Shooter was good, an editor, maybe they don't work as well for whatever yeah. reason. If Louise um, Simonson, uh, Louise Jones, sorry, was an editor. Maybe, yeah, maybe, yeah, the, she, maybe she, you know, she brokered some deals between these two that kept them going longer than they but might also, have. If, if she had come in sooner, maybe it would have not worked as well. It, yeah. It's, it's, it, it's, you're just lucky it worked and let's just, and move the time on. period, like it was reacting to the other comics of the time. Like, yeah, I do and think these it, comics hold up really well, but I'm sure that they were even so much more powerful in the time that they came out because you'd be comparing it to like whatever was going on in Spider-Man that month and whatever was going on in action comics over at DC and stuff. And that it was a stealth hit, right? That like it yeah. became it was a, a sleeper hit. hit. Yeah. Like it snuck up on people. I bet you even that was part, you know, if you were reading X-Men comics at this time, that's, that's almost a choice. You, you're yeah. pick, you're picking the runner up and identifying yeah. with it. Uh, that's you're kind like, of oh, fun you gotta, too. You gotta be reading this. This is the one nobody's watching. This is the, uh, everyone knows about that show or, you know, watch this show. It's sort of that yeah. thing going on. Yeah. You get, um, it's, it becomes your book, not everybody's book. And that all helps. Like once X-Men becomes the big, and it, at this point, maybe it is, maybe at this point it is, uh, um, the big, uh, uh, the big game in town. Though maybe that still is not true until like after fall of the mutants. I don't, I don't know when, I don't know. I don't know when it was like the. I think the one death book. of Phoenix, from what I've been reading as we go over these issues, is what yeah. cemented it as a major book. And so all the kids are reading it, but maybe some of the older people 
yeah don't don't haven't caught on yet some of the creators don't think of it as the big book yet but it is uh anyway uh it works and it's crazy and there's no way to know why it works <laughs> What a tremendous run. I'm so glad we're doing it. So we're, we're, we're good. We're still doing I like my, my critical analysis is, I don't know why. Yeah, that's me too. I have no idea why it worked. Um, well, we're going to be doing more mutants and mailbag. Uh, we're more mutants in our mutants and mailbag episodes. So I don't know. Let's keep reading. Yeah. Should we take that. a break and do some mail? Let's do it. Hi, this is Kevin. I'm here with my brother, Will, and we are the hosts of Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics, our weekly podcast about comic books. And we want to hear from you. We have a slew of social media accounts, a slew. You can email us at screwitcomics at gmail.com or see us on Instagram at screwitcomics or tweet at us at screwitcomics. So tell us what you think of the comics you like or the comics you don't or things we've talked about on our episodes. Or send us some life advice. You can tell that we need it. Yes. Uh, we might read your message on a future episode of our show. So thanks. In advance from Screw It, we're just going to talk about comics from Campfire Media. All right, let's get into some mailbag. Okay. Uh, we went long, so maybe just a few, right? Yeah. Uh, Callan Lambert emailed us back in October 2nd, talking about Donnie Cates, uh, who's a comic book writer, and Terry Moore, who did Strangers in Paradiseville. Mm-hmm. Uh, both have books out right now that feature crossovers between characters from each of their respective comics writing careers. Donnie Cates is doing a book literally called, I think, Crossover. And Terry Moore is doing a book called Serial. That, and both those books involve like all their characters from various independent books, okay. sort of meeting and doing stuff. Um, what other writers or artists would you like to see create crossovers of their characters and what might they look like? Um. Uh, I don't have a good answer for this, and I don't know if you will either. I uh, don't love crossovers <laughs> as yeah, much as the, I enjoy Secret Wars. Yeah, um, I think Alan Moore would be sort of fun. It'd be fun to have Rorschach hang out with like Supreme or something like that. And uh, Tom Strong. Yeah, good, good-hearted Tom Strong. See what he how he deals with Swamp Thing. Yeah, Alan Moore could pull it off too. Yeah. So if he's doing it. Um, that would definitely work. Yeah, nothing. Cthulhu teams up with um, the man who has everything. <laughs> Think of Cthulhu as just an Alan Moore character. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think it's just tough. Like generally, and I, I like books as much as the, and I've said this before in this podcast, like as much as the interconnected universe is what makes Marvel work. It's like, I sort of think Spider-Man is better without the Avengers or the FF around him. There's something more interesting about him to me. Uh, as the hero who has to save the day and there's no other choice and nobody likes him. But like, you know, if there's a New York wide disaster, it's like, we'll call the FF. But if he's the only choice and the city is against him, that's so much more interesting to me. And be like, well, you got it. He's got to be the guy. Well, you got to be still, and we still dislike him. It's it, that's an interesting um, who, but you got to pick, who do you pick? What do you mean? Who, oh, if the, I have to pick something crossing yeah. over. Um. I don't know. Um, I'm trying to think who does a bunch of different indie books. Like, yeah, because the 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 big the big two already are connected, so there already is yeah. like a constant crossover with Marvel and DC. So it's got to be an indie person. Yeah. Um, How about uh, Paul Christ? How about your boy Paul Christ? I mean, what are we talking about? He's got two main characters. Let's bring up team him up. Put Kane and Jack Staff together. Yeah. I don't think I'd like it. <laughs> uh, I'm glad to my bookshelf. See if anything jumps out at me. Carl Barks. 
I mean, he did one series and they all crossed over. Okay. So I mean, maybe if Richard Sala had done it, that's a decent choice. He did a little bit of that, but, um, yeah. but uh, he doesn't really have like recurring characters either. Uh, would you want love and Ro- more love and rockets crossovers? Would you want the mechanics to visit uh, Palomar? Um, they do that very briefly sometimes. No, I, I wouldn't. I don't think that would add anything. I, I, you don't need you know, it. Maybe just having all the Ditko characters show up. Let's just be, uh, be obvious. Let's have Question and Blue Beetle meet up with Spider-Man and Doctor uh, Strange. Doctor Strange. and Yeah, that sounds pretty fun. Get the Creeper in there. Just all the Ditko characters from all the different universes in a just book. Everybody just constantly enmeshed in smoke and liquid. Yeah, and Mr. A in the corner, furious that everybody is <laughs> uh, too wishy-washy. I mean, I guess that is Watchmen, right? I guess in a weird way, like Watchmen Some is it, a yeah. sort of version of that. But just the uh, Ditko versions, right? We get Captain Adam, the real Captain Adam, not uh, Dr. Manhattan. Just the book is 80% speech balloon. Just everybody lecturing everybody. I do like his characters a lot. I think they're very interesting and they're weird. And there's not a ton of them in any universe, right? Like it's not like Kirby yeah. where it's like, oh, yeah. it'd be great to see the fourth world character show up in Marvel Universe. Like, I don't know if that changes anything. Yeah. <laughs> it's all it's already so Kirby-ish. Yeah, right. And you already have like whatever the celestials uh sort of filling that role. You don't gain a ton. Right, right. Um, but with Ditko's characters, you know. The one reason like Spider-Man and Doctor Strange are fun to team up is because they both have this sort of just uh, off about them because they're Ditko characters. Mm-hmm. They, they don't really fit together otherwise. Magic and, and street crime yeah. don't mix well. Right. But it's like, ah, did they, the fact that they're both Ditko characters do make them work a little bit in my mind. Yeah. So let's get the Creeper to show up and Hawk and Dove and all these sort of offbeat yeah. weirdos. How about Alfred E. Newman and Irving Forbush? And like a Fred Hembick guy, kind of, you know, Spider-Ham, <laughs> Alfred E. Newman, and uh, Irving Forbush. Yeah, um, let's get uh, um, Little Petey from Fred Hembick's um, Little <laughs> Petey long before he was Spider-Man crossovers. <laughs> um, we're getting, uh, uh, we still get, every now and then we get posts asking, telling us that we should be reading the X-Men classics instead of these re- original issues. Okay. Because they're, they're, they're more fleshed in, there's more story and there's uh, backup stories. How do you feel about that? Should we have just done X-Men classic and not done the original issues? Well, the original 1960s and 70s. Instead X-Men? of doing the dark Phoenix saga, should we have done the classic X-Men version of the dark Phoenix saga, for instance? Oh, like the, the one that's happened later, the reprints that sometimes add stories. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, No, I I like reading the original issues. I think it's kind of fun to see what the people saw at the time. I I want to I want to see what started the revolution because we're doing this partly for historical reasons. We're trying to learn about the impact. So let's see. Let's see the version that they got. Yeah, I feel the same way. Uh, People tell us we're missing out, but it's like I want to read the stories as if we were reading them in the late 70s, early 80s and all. I don't want to be like, oh, eventually this will be retconned to make sense. I want to just enjoy it being like, oh, why are they friends so fast? I don't care about the story 10 years later that explains why they're good friends. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think those are fun to read later. I don't know if I ever will, but um, but yeah, I like uh, that idea of it. Uh, we had somebody who came up with a comic book shop name for us. Well, okay. I think we should call it Amazon Comics. He said <laughs> the name Amazon seems popular. What do you think about that? Hmm, it might be confusing, but um, I still All think right. Google Comics would be better. But I, I guess I guess we could try Amazon Comics. Chris Henderson told us that on October 20th on Twitter. Okay. Um, so I think that's a fun thing to share. I usually, I don't. Uh, You're not a big tweet sharer. 
I just forget. I I forget about them. Uh, So I I have the email in front of me. Mm -hmm. Uh, Robert Christ emails about cartoons. We talked a little bit about cartoons last episode. Um, But I just want to read what he says, because he's watched some of these X-Men cartoons that I have not watched. So uh, I was adamant that I had watched the Fox 90s X-Men cartoon when I was a kid. Um, I bought the collection from uh, from Vintage Stock in a nostalgia band. And to my shock, I had no memory of 90% of the episodes. The iconic mm. intro to the show somewhat stuck with me, but the show didn't. Was I too young to remember? Did I even watch it? Either way, I see in Disney Plus X-Men Evolution from the early aughts, and I definitely misremember that show as the 90s one. Um, where this connects with the current comics run, the 90s cartoon, I, I don't know. A beat for beat covers for these comics... I don't quite understand this sentence. Have you seen this cartoon? While you were talking about comic panels, I can see the cartoon episodes. Uh, why were 90s cartoons so on point? X-Men, Batman, Spider-Man. Um, so he's basically saying like, oh, I, I got these two cartoons mixed up. I do that sometimes where I think I watched one, but it's something else that I've watched. Yeah. Um, I have not watched the I have not watched the Fox X-Men cartoon. I have not watched the X-Men Evolution one, though I hear that one's good. Um, and I, I watched that, any of these, that one I'm more likely to watch. I think, I just don't think I could sit through that 90. I've watched a few episodes of the nineties X-Men and just like that 90 Spider-Man cartoon. I just find the pacing so off for me. I mean, I watched like three minutes of the fantastic four cartoon from the nineties. And I was like, I can't, I can't deal with this. Oh, the, uh, yeah, that one's terrible. Yeah. Uh, I also watched a few minutes of that. It, I could, I'm more likely to be able to watch that because it's so bad. <laughs> just mar- just the, marveling the, at it. Yeah, the Ironically. madness of it maybe would uh, uh, intrigue me. Uh, Thomas Franzen emailed us on October 14th about Joe Bennett, the immortal Hulk artist. Well, I don't know if you know about the uh, controversy with him. I don't. He's effectively canceled at Marvel over some questionable opinions he has had a couple, and a couple of instances of him sneaking offensive stereotypes into his art. Uh, and he wants to know our take on this. So basically what happened was... Uh, he had some incidents in the past that I'm not aware of, but in an immortal Hawk issue, there is they're in a jewelry store and, and he put a, uh, a Jewish star on the window uh-huh. and wrote jewelry instead of jewelry. Weird. Um, but it's like reversed because they're inside the store. Okay. And when that first came out, everyone's like mad at this guy and being like, this is offensive. This is stereotype. And I took it as like, Oh, I think he just messed up and dropped yeah. the, like, because it was like reversed. And later on in that issue, he has pawn shop written backwards and it's P N W A or something. like he got the letters mixed up there too. I'm like, I think this guy just is like dyslexic or something with reverse yeah, letters. Bad at, yeah. Uh, and the star, I was like, that's pretty bad, but I sort of could justify it all in my head. I'm like, I think he didn't think, I don't think he was, I don't think it was meant to be malicious. I think he just was like, Oh, this will make it clear. to I, I think like his, his, his own, uh, 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 feelings sort of like oh i think jewish people own jewelry stores so i'm gonna put that there like he was ignorant but i don't think it was malicious yeah but then uh after that some art he came out with like uh some a very offensive sketch he had drawn has come out since then and i'm like oh maybe this guy is terrible yeah and uh so anyway this guy i think is bad but for some reason like that first incident i got him in so much trouble i looked at as like this could just be a mistake and some ignorance. Yeah. I don't think it, it didn't feel malicious to me, but he has, he does have some art that is malicious. Um, yeah. Um, like, you know, we're talking like drawn stereotypes of people. Um, yeah. The, um, 
I, d- I don't know because I, I haven't I mean I haven't even read that much Immortal Hulk uh, uh, it's always a little, little bit of a bummer to me I, I feel like at least on social media people call for full banning of things a little yeah. early um, and I would always prefer it if there's room for like an apology and adjustment and stuff and like um, but I it, it really is a case by case basis so I it's hard to um yeah, I don't remember the specifics. I definitely don't really like the feeling on social media, especially Twitter, of like burn it all down the minute there's something wrong. I get that feeling at least, and I, that is extreme. But on the other hand, I don't want to, I don't mind um, holding creators' feet to the fire about maybe assumptions and things. Yeah, Jew- jewelry drew- stores being owned by a Jewish owner in New York City. Um, I mean, that's, there's a truth to that. I'm thinking of the scene in Marathon Man where the Nazi war criminal is trying to walk through the jewelry district to get away. And the couple owners come out of the stores and they recognize him from the war and they and they challenge him and they yell at him while he's walking. It's a very moving scene. Yeah. So there is to make the owner of a Manhattan jewelry store Jewish is not in and of itself offensive. You know, that's it's that's not crazy. Um, yeah. yeah. But uh to do it kind of arbitrarily and go out of your way to say it in like this, uh, the scary Jews are running the jewelry stores. I, I can see where it'd be kind of like, well, dude, what, where's this coming from? Yeah. So I don't know. It's like, I gotta, I'd have to, what well, the way you describe it, that initial incident does not seem cancelable to me. Right. It seems like conversational, like, Hey, let's talk about this. What's where, where's this coming from? Yeah. Let's look into this guy more maybe, but let's, uh, it could just be a mistake. And then this political cartoon came out and he like drew, I think like people like little rat people and it, it's pretty bad. <laughs> and then Marvel is basically, once he finished the uh, immortal Hulk, the writer basically came out and was like, I probably, I'm not going to work with this artist anymore because of all these little things. They've just added up. I don't want to work with this guy. And now he has, uh, he, now he is working for a company that flaunts political correctness, a comic, uh, like a bunch of comics gators is what they're called that sort of uh, angrily think comics have become too PC. And these guys are for real bad guys uh, attack people uh, on Twitter, on social media. Yeah. And so like the fact that when this guy got fired, immediately he went to work for like the bad guys in the sense I'm like, Oh, well, so I guess you were awful. You know, like there's nothing yeah. innocent about that. Yeah. It's, it's like, it's, it'd be like saying like, Hey, I don't know. Maybe Luke, Louis C.K. isn't so bad. Let's give him another chance. And he's like, "Yeah." By the way, I'm gonna go hang out with uh, the KKK or something. And be like, <laughs> yeah, "Oh, yeah. what? Oh, uh, maybe you were bad." Those aren't quite analogs, but yeah, it, it's um, like you got canceled a little bit, and then you flipped completely to this horrible side. Here's my cop out response, which is basically like, whenever somebody has an opinion about cancel culture in total, like cancel culture's mm-hmm. gone too far, or Cancel culture has not gone too far. Uh, unfortunately, the real answer is it's case by case. You got to tell yes. me what example you're talking about because, I, there, you know, when James Gunn was first like fired for his old tweets, I was like, that seems not yeah. right. He deleted them, said they were dumb, they were wrong. You wouldn't do it again. It's like that. You can't. That's that's insane. But um, uh, and the, but there's yeah. other examples where there's it's it's like, the yeah, same there's, thing this about- person does seem like they're trolling for a fight every time they open their mouth and maybe aren't worth it. I, yeah. you know. I felt the same way about Kevin Hart when he lost the 
gig to host the Oscars. I mean, I don't think he was really canceled because he still gets to make movies and TV shows. It's like he doesn't get to host the Oscars. Who cares? But like it was just because of old tweets. It's like, yeah, some of his old humor was out of touch. But then like, you know, Chappelle recently did a routine that's like anti-trans. I'm like, I can see why people don't want that on Netflix. It shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's it really a sort of case by case. Um, yeah. And some of it I is more know. subjective it, than others. In, in general, like. I also think most people that are canceled are just told, like, you can't do this one thing. You can still do other things. Yeah. And that's not necessarily being canceled. It's just like not being hired. Yeah. You lost a gig or something like yeah. that. Yeah. I, it's it's funny. Like social media really provides for us the worst version of every side of the argument. So whatever your instincts are, oh, I'm on this side. You can mm-hmm. find a terrible example of the other side being real loud on social media to point to, to make yourself feel right. But I don't know. I'm, I, hate I, also, to be a, I hate to be a cop-out moderate. I also little, feel like this but, uh, a little bit. Like Sometimes people are like, oh, I don't want to read this comic because this artist was involved or this writer was involved. And my sort of reaction is like, well, what about the other people who are involved in that comic who also make money off of it? Like, so... I don't want to read Immortal Hulk because I don't like Joe Bennett. That's fine. That's your prerogative. But you like, do you like Al Ewing? Do you like the colorist? Do you like the letterer? They all made this comic before this guy was sort of revealed to be bad. Yeah. Uh, Like Warren Ellis is an example uh, who's sort of a great writer, but it got in real trouble, uh, uh, deservedly so, for apparently grooming women. Mm -hmm. Numerous numerous occurrences of this. Um, It sounds pretty bad. It's like, oh, I, I already own Planetary. I'm not going to burn my copies of Planetary. Yeah. Uh, and in the sense, like the artist he worked with, John Cassidy, didn't know he was grooming women when he worked on Planetary. So if I wanted to buy Planetary, in my sense, like, yeah, I, Warren Ellis makes money off this. That's too bad. But also other people make money off this. Now, if someone started working with Warren Ellis now, knowing this is sort of well out knowledge, then it sort of looks bad. It's like, well, you, now you're deciding to work. You've decided, like, if you make a movie with Woody Allen today. Mm-hmm. He's another example. It's a, you're making a choice in full knowledge of everything. You know what everyone believes about him and what is true about him and what is not true about him. And you've made this choice. So if I choose not to see the movie, you knew that maybe I don't want to see this movie because it's a Woody Allen movie. But do I blame Diane Keaton for being in Love and uh, Death? Uh, was it Love and Death or Love and War? Love and Death, yeah. Love and Death. Uh, I like that you picked Love and Death and not Annie Hall. That's my my favorite Woody Allen movie is Love and Death. <laughs> so it's like, I still love that movie. I will rewatch it and enjoy it. And I'm yeah. not going to, because like, oh yeah, Woody Allen, I do think is a bad person, but I can sort of enjoy his earlier stuff because I'm sort of like, eh, we didn't know. I didn't know. Yeah. People didn't know. Some people maybe knew, but it, yeah, that's sort of where I draw the line. Like, I do think I could listen to old Bill Cosby stand-up routines. Yeah. But I wouldn't want him to be like on a new TV show or interviewed. Yeah. I'm definitely pretty loose in my own personal consumption of art, even if it's by someone who I know something not great about them. Like if the art is good, I'm curious about it. So anyway, um, not not always, but I I'm like, oh, I want to I want to read that book. I want to see that movie. Um Anyway, I don't know if we answered your question, Thomas. I don't know either, take yeah. is confusing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I do think he's a bad guy now. I didn't at the time when he first got sort of outed is my short version. Yeah. Uh, more importantly, Thomas says, I agree with you guys that Canada is sinking way too much in money into Alpha Flight. <laughs> the real controversy. 
Canada's superheroes make plenty of sense, but I'm not sure a taxpayer-funded team of super soldiers is justifiable. <laughs> not just for Canada either. It doesn't really make sense for any country in the Marvel Universe to be sinking what must be billions of dollars in the superhero teams that seem to constantly go rogue or cause massive property damage. Yes, Thomas, that's right. You are on the right <laughs> side of that issue. I sense a Senate run, Kevin. You might be uh, on the Thomas <laughs> Kelly side. Um, let's do one more. We've gone so long. Where was this one? Not this one. Um, uh, hold on. I wrote some things down. Oh, let's do this one. This is a dumb one. Um, this is from Alan Dibner. I like this email. I call him, I call him dumb, but I like this one. Uh, he's from Los Feliz. Well, nice. I love so, those uh, while, while watching the movie Venom, Let There Be Carnage, I couldn't help but think of my favorite podcast about comics, hosted by two brothers who are also kind of comedians. Wait, which one is this? What's he uh, listening to? I think he's listening to us. Well, oh, phew. Uh, see, there's a supporting character in both the Venom movies named Dan, played by actor Reed Scott. Do you see where this is going yet, Will? Um, no. Okay. The same actor also played Dan on the TV show Veep but they are not the same character. Don't let that confuse me, you, Kevin. Okay, I won't, I won't thank you. <laughs> uh, while watching, I couldn't help but notice that Dan in the Venom movies is a doctor, which traditionally is considered a very, some might say, fancy profession. Oh, okay, now I see. He's also a sharp dresser and a handsome fella. Sometimes a guy like that is teased for being a bit of a fancy boy. <laughs> uh, as you two are the ones developing the Enforcers movie, uh, uh, right here, right now on air, verify my theory that Reed Scott's character is being set up to be none other than the cinematic universe's fancy Dan. I mean, it's, that sounds like iron tight logic. Iron tight logic. That's fancy Dan in my mind now. Um, until it's called fancy Dan, you can always retcon that away. But clearly that is what they're trying to seed. And yeah. we've got to get our production. Get our TV show first. pitch going. Yeah. So that our, we can have our fancy Dan first. And we maybe gotta, we'll hire Reed Scott. I, I we got, we'll have to send us a tape. Yeah, like he's got to audition for us. Uh, <laughs> I still think Will might be our fancy Dan. I'm looking for terrible a... casting. I refuse to be fancy Dan. <laughs> I don't think you can have a pot-bellied 51-year-old fancy Dan. I Someone don't tweeted that we should be a cameo to the Gamboni brothers from the Circus of Crime. <laughs> what a terrible... <laughs> just firing us out of cannons. <laughs> like these big misshapen bodies mm -hmm. full of fear. Uh, Alan then asks a really important question for you, Will. How do you feel about the recent changes at the Mustard Seed Cafe? Uh, it's devastating. I haven't gone there. Although the new owners do seem quite nice, actually. There's new owners. Um, oh, that's the change? There's new owners, yeah. And they they actually do seem quite nice, and I and I, I like them. Um, but change is hard sometimes, and I'm I'm having to get used to it just because I was so accustomed to the old staff. Why did they? Why did it sell? Pandemic, like uh, oh, they was losing money and they the owners sold to new people who are, again, really nice. But a lot of the old wait staff uh, left. Uh, and I've talked to some of those guys. I can't believe I'm getting into this. Um, everybody, <laughs> this everybody so for people who don't know, the Mustard Tea Cafe was pre-pandemic, at least Will's favorite place to eat. Yeah, I'd be and there. Sit like, and just like read. I'd go and, there in the morning, get breakfast and sit there all morning. And it's kind of a Los Feliz hotspot. Lots of the Los Feliz folks mm -hmm. would stop by. Um and my unofficial that, office people so would see changed. me there and be like, I knew I'd see you here. I'd be like, yes, I like to be known, but, um, I have changed ownership. And you, and so you've talked to some of the old wait staff go on. And they say it's quite nice. Everyone's quite nice. And the, and then owners were like, we'll pay you the same money you were making. Please stay on. One person did stay on, but people were like, ah, it's just, 
time for a change. I've been working here a long time. Might as well, might as well use this opportunity to force mm-hmm. myself to do something different was what people kind of said. Um, so the old gang spread to the winds. So it's not just new ownership. It's just, a, it's a new, it's just new people. Completely. Everyone's has, new there. Has the food um, changed? No, the chefs are the same. Okay. Um, but you didn't go for the food. You didn't like the food. I, the food was fine. You, you thought the food was bad. You, go, I, you went for the, the people. Yeah. Um, really, it was the pandemic that I broke my habit of going because I just stopped going out entirely. Um, so m- maybe I'll reestablish it. Uh, stop. By. You know what? I'm going to go today. Um, he also asks if we've read Iron Fist issue number 15, which I believe is the one that was included in the Epic Comics collection that we read well. Yeah, I did read uh, that then. Because he said the X-Men ran it was by Byrne and Claremont. We did read it. We didn't cover it. Uh, just because we cover, we're covering so much. Yeah, uh, but it was a fun. It was a very fun. It was really issue. fun. Yes, I can see why it's included. And in. some of these stuff that's in these epic collections is like Marvel team ups where Nightcrawler shows up. I don't understand why they're shown, but that issue made sense. Um. Uh. Yeah. Thank you. Um. Uh, so I think that's enough, right? We've gone really long. We've gone really long. So. Um, if you want to email us, screw it comics at Gmail. We also have an Instagram account, screw it comics. Please follow us on Instagram. Kevin puts a ton of work into that account and it's great. I truly think it's a great account. Um, and so listen, our we, we, did get an email, we did get an email from somebody whose email address made their name show up as John Byrne. And I was about halfway through the email going to John Byrne email us. I got yes. very excited. Or is someone pretending to be John Byrne emailing us? Kind of both would be exciting to me. <laughs> uh, but it's just as somebody who has John Byrne as an email address. Their name is Jack. Anyway, we'll okay. read that email next time. But I was like, little preview, little shout out for the next. I, was, I got about. excited that we had gotten an email from either John Byrne or John Byrne impersonator. Uh, it was neither. Um. Well, Kevin, I can't uh, we, wait till next episode. Yeah, we're going to so have a guest. Episode, we don't know who yet, but we'll have somebody. We'll probably have a guest next episode, and then the week after that, we'll cover the issues we were supposed to cover today but didn't get to. Yeah. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Screw it. Screw it. Just about comics. I'm Brian Husky. I'm bald. And I'm Charlie Sanders, and I'm also bald. And we host Bald Talk on the Campfire Media Network. Bald Talk is the podcast where two bald comedians talk to anyone bald about being bald. But this show isn't just for baldies, Brian. Harrows will love it, too. Bald Talk gets into vulnerability, vanity, insecurity, and self-acceptance, reminding us that we all have our respective bald spots. Not that bald spots are a bad thing. No way. I mean, my entire head is one big bald spot. It is one huge, beautiful bald spot, Charlie. Get Bald Talk on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. I mean, I I have like a little bit of hair, but not like you. Like you're really bald. I'm truly bald. Great. I mean, it's I'm great. balder than it. you. You are balder than me. Only on Bald Talk. Campfire. <laughs>